This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 151. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending, cocktails, and spirits. Well, thanks for joining me today, and we're going to talk scotch today. Uskaba scotch in particular, and we have Ryan Judson from the brand on, and we're going to talk all about scotch, so stand by for that. First, let's do our book of the week. Well, Warren Bobrow's been a guest on our show many times, and uh, so we're going to do, he has a book coming up that's very interesting. I saw him last year at Tales of Cocktail, and he's like, my new book is just going to blow everybody's mind. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What could you possibly be talking about? Oh, it's top secret. Can't tell anybody about it. Well, the secret is out now. The book's not out quite yet, but the name of the book is out, and you can pre-order it on uh, Amazon. Believe it or not, the name of the book is Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics. Well, yes, that that was a surprise to me, and uh, uh, I'm excited to uh, I'm, wor- I'm working on getting him back on the show and getting a uh, a review copy of that book. But in the meantime, let's do his existing book, Whiskey Cocktails, because this is a great book, and uh, his his recipes are very uh, they're a lot of fun. They're very fresh. He has a very uh, chef or a kitchen based approach to uh, making cocktails, and uh, they're always very original and uh, I just love his cocktails. So uh, that's the book of the week this week. It's Warren Barbro's Whiskey Cocktails, Rediscovering Classics and Contemporary Craft Drinks Using the World's Most Popular Spirit. If you get on over to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link to this and uh, you'll see a pre-release, uh, pre-order link for his new book, Cannabis Cocktails. As I said, we're working on getting him back on the show in the near future. This week I'll be heading over to Whiskey Live, and we had uh, a contest. Hopefully you got a chance to enter, but uh, we pulled a winner, and the winner is Shane from New York, and uh, he's uh, he's going to he won two tickets to to Whiskey Live, so uh, I'll be seeing you there, Shane. Tickets are still available for Whiskey Live, and it's February twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen, at Chelsea Piers, and I hope you'll go. Here's a discount code for you. It's W L N Y one six. So that stands for Whiskey Live New York 2016. So it's WLNY16. And uh, I hope to see you there. Please let me know if you're going. That code's good for 10% off. It promises to be an amazing event with over 300 whiskeys to try. There's entertainment and a buffet, so uh, you can't go wrong with that, huh? Of course, I'll be bringing all my audio recording gear and hope to record a bunch of stuff to uh, to share with you, or uh, at least I'll set up some interviews in the future for more. So, sometimes at those events, it's a little difficult to uh, to, to corner people and, and get good review, uh, get good interviews, I should say. Um, but we'll do our best, and we'll bring the gear, and uh, if not, we'll have tons of business cards and uh, set up some stuff for the future. But Whiskey Live is an exciting event. I'm I can't wait to go and. And uh, if you heard me talking about it last week, um, the bourbon class was canceled, unfortunately. But I'm going to go to a class all about scotch or about malt whiskeys anyway. It's called the Malt Advocate Course. So looking forward to that. And then the event, uh, the Whiskey Live tasting event afterwards at Chelsea Piers. And uh, as I said, I'll report back to you on, uh, on that. And the next day, I've set up an interview with Souther Teague of Amore Amargo. And uh, he's such an interesting guy. And I can't wait to share that interview with you guys coming up soon. So make sure you're subscribed. However it is you get your podcasts, uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you have any questions at all about how to subscribe, you can head over to bartenderjourney.net and there's a subscribe page there and uh, it'll help you out. Now our cocktail of the week. (laughs) 
Well, as I said, we're going to be talking to Ryan Judson from Uskaba Scotch, and he shared a cocktail with us, and that's going to be our cocktail of the week. We're going to t- it's the Uskaba Old Fashioned. Uskaba is a delicious blended scotch, so uh, hopefully you can get a hold of it. And if not, you take a, get another blended scotch, and we're going to use three ounces of blended scotch whiskey, one ounce almond orgeat, three dashes of orange bitters, a orange peel, and a uh, grated cinnamon stick. We're going to stir the scotch, the orzat, and the bitters uh, in a mixing cup over ice. Strain that into a fresh glass with uh, hopefully one nice big ice cube and garnish it with the orange peel and grate a little uh, cinnamon on top. And you can even stick that cinnamon stick in there as a garnish if you like. So that's our Uskaba Old Fashioned. We're going to talk all about scotch in just a minute with Ryan, but first let's hear from our sponsor, BevSpot. BevSpot is software to manage your entire beverage program, everything from inventory to ordering, pars, and forecasting, and they want to help you run a better beverage program, and they uh, want to help you run a more profitable bar. So let's hear from CEO and co-founder of BevSpot, Rory Crawford, about how to get a free demo. So if you go on our website, you'll see a, you know, an upper right button that says request a demo. And what happens there is you'll get contacted by one of our scheduling people. Uh, we'll walk you through the, you know, the product and how it works. And then we'll book a time. And typically it's a 30 to 60 minute walkthrough of our entire product. And we will we'll screen share the, the demo with you and walk you through answering any questions you have and showing you our actual live product. It's an online demo. Everything's done virtually for us. You know, we find people in this industry are so busy. Um, you know, you really just got to find a time that works. All you need to do is be in front of a computer. And, and that can be in the morning, the evening, the afternoon. What we do is we send you an email with a link. You click the link and then you see my screen. And then I walk you through the product and answer any questions you have. You know, another thing BevSpot wants to help you with is to reduce your sitting inventory. Now, why is that so important? Well, you think about, uh, let's say in a week you go through $10,000 worth of, uh, of booze and you have $40,000 sitting on the shelf. Now, that's $30,000 sitting around uh, there's the lost opportunity cost it's called in, in business that, that's money that you could have, could have used somewhere else for a better use and also uh, you have to count it now for every time you do an inventory and stuff that sits around like that especially booze tends to uh, either break or uh, otherwise disappears in one way or another so uh, that's uh, that's something else BevSpot can help you out with is reducing your sit- sitting inventory and that's an important thing hey they have a free resource guide and uh, they talk about the sitting inventory uh, issue in, in their free guide to bar management and you can download that for free on BevSpot.com on their resources page so I really do encourage you to check out BevSpot if you're in charge of your beverage program if you're an owner especially if you're managing the bar and uh, they want to help you. All right, let's talk scotch with Ryan Judson. Well, man, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. I'm excited. Same here. I made a welcome cocktail. Here's yours. Cheers. <laughs> that's uh, what that's do you got cocktail. Oh, that's, which one? It's the Uskaba Old Fashioned. Where's that name come from? The word is actually a Gaelic word that dates back uh, centuries. It means water of life in Gaelic. We were just lucky enough to trademark it in 1877. It's sort of the wow. Angli- anglicized version of the word. So, um, it's a word that's shared by both Scotch and Irish cultures. So you see that popping up a lot in the, uh, I guess, marketing materials of various Scotch and uh, Irish whiskey brands. But there is yeah. really only one Uskaba Scotch whiskey, and that's ours. Uh, how about that? So anytime somebody says water of life, they should be paying you a royalty, it sounds like. <laughs> that would be nice, yeah. yeah. 
I'd be a much richer man, I suppose. But yeah, well, it's um great, great scotch, Thank and you. it's um it's a blended whiskey, which uh you know thankfully is uh we're getting out of the getting over the hump where everybody you know wants everybody wants a single malt. So th- thankfully, people are starting to realize that there are awesome scotch blended scotch whiskeys out there. Right? I agree. You know, as I as I work the American market and and I travel nationally selling this brand, so I get a real terrific experience in seeing what the palate of the American drinker is like. Uh, of course, the bourbon and rye craze doesn't slow down and continues to bring more whiskey drinkers into the fold, which I think is good for the market overall. But as they sort of run the gamut of, of you know, American-made whiskeys, uh, they begin to dip their toe in the Scotch uh, water, I suppose. And and uh, you know, single malts oftentimes are a bit. I'll say they're a bit imposing. They can be uh, a bit scary for somebody that is only used to the same sort of uh, mash bill. Uh, and malted barley tends to be something that is uh, very expressive if you compare it to something like aged corn whiskey or uh, even rye whiskey. So um, blended scotch is a terrific um, midpoint. I think it's a great introduction. And when you find a really good one, something that's really well made, uh, it can open a door to single malts in a way that I, I don't think some of the less expensive or uh, uh, more poorly made brands can do. Uh, I think in terms of scotch, when people think blended scotch, uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is maybe their their first sip of whiskey out of grandpa's <laughs> liquor yeah. cabinet. And yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that leaves a bad impression. But when you taste something like Uskaba, which I think is well-rounded, uh, which, which which I think has uh, a substantial amount of malt to pair closely with a, a very well-crafted grain spirit, the result is something that's approachable for anyone, uh, yeah. regardless of their drinking background. Regardless, you know, if somebody is used to drinking cognac, I think they can pick up a really well-made blended scotch like our old rare and mm-hmm. uh, and delve into it and and come away you know fascinated and and wanting to try more so uh, Uskaba is is a good example I think of a blended scotch done right yeah yeah well there's a long tradition of blending Scott uh, of blending whiskey in Scotland right I mean really there was blended whiskey before there were single malts uh well it's kind of the chicken and chicken or the egg yeah, yeah. argument I think I mean um, I mean there weren't a lot of single malts sold they, they were obviously made and then other companies would buy them right and then blend them together and make a blended scotch but, but Correct. It's, it's, it's a fairly recent thing for single malts to be sold on. I mean, fairly recent in the history of, you know, the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if we're talking about recent history, um, you know, scotch obviously began in Scotland. Um, in fact, you can't call whiskey scotch if it comes from anywhere else but Scotland. So the interesting part about scotch history is that in the early part of the 1800s, when when scotch whiskey, as we know it today, was was first becoming a, a popular drink to be consumed in the aristocracies and the upper echelons of uh, what's now the United Kingdom's culture, scotch whiskey, uh, single malt whiskey, was outlawed. Uh, in fact, it was illegal to, mm. to produce and to consume. Uh, so the way they got around that was what we call uh, smugglers, I suppose. And they, they would come down with their barrels of whiskey from the from the highlands of Scotland and bring them to the cosmopolitan centers in Inverness and, and Glasgow. And uh, these merchant stores would blend this rather harsh single malt whiskey uh, alongside some more finessed grain whiskey. So the, those overproofed, harsh single malt whiskeys would then be toned down and proofed down into something much more consumable. And uh, 
the you know inevitably this led to what we know as uh, blended Scotch whiskey. Uh, mm-hmm. You have brands like Johnny Walker, uh, Chivas Regal, Dewars. All of these brands began in the back of merchant shops, almost grocery stores, if you will. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Uskaba is, is no different. Um, we began in a store called Ross and Cameron in the late part of the 17 and early 1800s. It was a it was their proprietary blend uh, that made the rounds in, in and around Inverness. And it became so popular that inevitably it was trademarked in 1877, as we know it today, the old rare. Mm-hmm. Um, so that flagon bottle, the ceramic bottle, uh, which has become our namesake and also sort of our flagship, that whiskey has, has survived almost 140 years uh, mm. and in its current form, uh, which is kind of oh, neat, cool. I think. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah, there, there's a few uh, classifications in it, and it does get a little confusing because sometimes these these uh, terms are, are kind of truncated. You know, so like, for instance, single malt actually means produced at a single distillery from uh, malted barley. So, you know, it's kind of, but then, you know, I saw this was obviously just marketing, but I saw a bottle at the store the other day that said it was a triple malt whiskey. I'm like, what? I never heard of that before. <laughs> well, the terminology is uh, pretty straightforward, but brands have a way of uh, muddying the water, I suppose, uh, mm-hmm. especially single malts. And, uh, you know, there are three main categories of scotch whiskey. You have your single malt whiskey, which we can all understand. It comes from one single distillery. It is not a single cask uh, right. by any means. In fact, that's a that's a subcategory of single malt whiskey. So you have your single malts, and then of course you have your single cask single malts, or what, what people in the know would call a single single. Mm. Um, then you have a blended malt whiskey. And in fact, Uskaba makes one of these. And blended malt, uh, some of the more popular brands on the, on the market right now include Monkey Shoulder, um, Johnny... Green Label is, is another popular one, mm-hmm. uh, among many others. Uh, Sheep Dip is, is a classic, uh, but Uskaba makes a 15-year as well. And, and a blended malt is a blend of only single malt whiskeys with no grain, but it mm-hmm. is still a blend of multiple single right. malt distilleries. Right. Um, and those may or may not contain an age statement. Uh, in fact, as you look at the market today, you, you notice a lot of brands getting away from that. Um, Uskaba maintains a 15-year age statement on our whiskey uh, for the blended malt. Mm. And then, of course, we have uh, blended scotch whiskey, which makes up 90% of the, uh, of the scotch exports that leave Scotland. Um, so that'll be a uh, mixture of malted barley and corn or I think it's usually called maize in uh, Scotland, right? What, what, what's the Correct. typical proportions of that? So uh, it, it varies depending yeah. on the grain distillery. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in Scottish grain whiskey. In fact, most of Scottish grain whiskey uh, tends to be you know, much more inferior, I think, to to Scotch barley, uh, malted barley. Uh, but grain whiskey from Scotland can be a mixture of many different grains, uh, anything but rye. Oh, okay. uh, so you have typically it's a blend of malted barley, wheat, and maize. Our whiskey that we use from uh, from Uskaba is from sourced from a Highlands grain grain distillery called Invergordon, uh, and they are known for producing a weeded grain whiskey. So uh, ours is 100% wheat that goes in with our malted barley. Okay. Yeah. So I was looking at the bottle here, the uh, the reserve. Mm-hmm. It has whiskeys as old as 16, 17, and 18, and then it's combined with the younger malts. Correct. Well. So, so we've actually, and, and this is kind of getting into the age statement discussion. Our blender is of the idea that a single malt whiskey, blended malt whiskey ought to see an age statement. And the reason being you want to experience that 
particular style of that particular house. Whereas blended Scotch whiskey, really the idea is to create an experience of, of layers and complexity. Uh, when you don't put an age statement, uh, you allow, yes, you're going to use some younger grains. You're going to use grains as young as three years of age, but you can also have the opportunity to use older malts. Uh, the law in Scotland states that any whiskey in the bottle it must be three years of age or older. Uh, okay. three, three years is the cutoff. So uh, even the grain whiskeys that go into a bottle of a 12-year blended scotch have to be at least 12 years. So the, the, the idea uh, for these larger brands is to use a, a, a dominant grain percentage in their blends uh, versus lesser malt uh, when you put an age statement on the bottle. And there's a reason for that. Malted barley costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, they're trying to make a lot of whiskey. Uh, and the result is a, is a pour that is typically dominated by grain whiskey in the bill. Uh, so you have some, some brands as low as 15% malt content and as high as 85% grain. Uh, Uskabas in, in our entry level, uh, because we take away the age statement, so we're, uh, we have a 50-50 malt to grain ratio in that entry level, the, the reserve in the green bottle. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's significant because grain, off grain offers sort of this brightness, uh, freshness, whereas the malt is going to carry the finish and bring up the body of the whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, you know, I think uh, age statements on blended scotch is, is sort of a thing of the past. And people should really experiment with some of these non-age statement blended scotch whiskeys, which showcase some younger grains and in and, and a brighter uh, front of the palate, but then also are able to use older malts, uh, which creates a really long lasting finish and uh, mm -hmm. makes it ideal for cocktails as well. Right, right. Well, so we try this neat. The yeah, reserve. I think so. Sure, I'd, I'll join in with you. Great. <laughs> now, do you swirl when you uh, taste spirits? Only if I add a bit of water. Okay. Um, you know, there, there's really no point in oxygenating a spirit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you know, by its by its lonesome in a glass, it's just fine. It, yeah. Uh, I've been you told know, you're going to get too much alcohol in your face if you if you swirl, you know. Yeah, you know, there, there's not a real whole lot of science behind swirling as opposed to like tasting wine yeah. when when oxygen is needed to bring up some of those notes. But right. with whiskey, just a quick nose over the glass is is usually enough to get those. Uh, initial hints of, of uh, the oak. Mm. Now, Hunter Lang and Company, who is our blender, they're fond of using a lot of sherry in, in our casks. And uh, this one has typically an even split between uh, refill bourbon casks and sherry Oloroso casks. Mm -hmm. And you pick that up on the nose. It's almost yeah, a, a nuttiness. Mm -hmm. There's also a bit of smoke. We do, uh, we do use some peated malts from the Highlands as well okay. in some of our blends. Uh -huh. Now, it's unique. Uh, well, I wouldn't say 100% unique. There are some other regionally specific uh, blended Scotch whiskeys like Campbelltown Lock and, and others. But Uskaba is a Highlands-only whiskey. Yeah, I want to discuss the different regions of because uh, it's a little hard to wrap your head around. I mean, it's, there's not that many, I guess. What is there, seven or eight regions? Well, uh, in, terms of, in terms of overall regions, in Scotland, you have the Highlands, uh, you have the Lowlands, you have Campbelltown, you have Isla, and then you have the Islands, mm. which are classified typically in with the Highlands. Uh, and and uh, Islands include like Highland Park, uh, Talisker, uh, some of those you know big time uh, Scotch whiskey distilleries. But mm. Isla, Isla, I think right now is is you're seeing a most play on the market. Um, you know, Ardbeg and Laphroaig have done a great job of re-engineering their marketing structure and, and promoting Isla as sort of a youthful, uh, 
you know, it's driven, it's driving the young market with Scotch drinkers uh, in in twenty one to to forty year old category, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is important because it brings yeah. you know new new people in and uh, showcasing a style of whiskey that is. It's funny because these these people who really don't have a lot of experience in drinking Scotch are jumping right into the more forward styles. Yeah, and uh, smoke bombs and like, <laughs> right. I know I'm supposed to like this, but uh, <laughs> right, it's a and, little and bit of an acquired taste. It's a good thing. I I think that it's important. Um, because it allows for other brands like like ours and like Highland whiskeys, which are much more subtle, uh, prettier, if you will. Uh, some of them tend to be very masculine, like Oban, um, but others tend to be very elegant, soft. And there are also some peated whiskeys out of the Highlands, like Artmore and Unknock, or a few that that showcase more of a, a sturdy, smoky style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this is this is great. It's it it, it is um it's fairly light for a Scotch, as you say. And uh, what are we? Forty three ABV, and mm-hmm. uh, it's great. I, I would actually like a drop of water in there just because it's early in the day, and <laughs> <laughs> I think. But I think it'll help uh, bring out some of the flavors as well. Well, I, I like this whiskey, as, and, and I sell it as sort of a, a workhorse. It's it's a type of whiskey that you can drink neat. As we're doing right now, yeah. you can you can add a bit of water. You can add an ice cube if you prefer, um, but you can also make a highland a highball. Uh, mm-hmm. You can make a cocktail like you made. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's a great foundation for a cocktail because of its um, approachable style, uh, sort of its its richness on the back end with the honey and and heathery notes, uh, and not a huge emphasis on smoke. Right. So the style of cocktail you get tends to be a bit more. Um, bright and, and lively, I think, than some of the deeper, darker uh, peated malts that you get with some of the other brands that are being used in cocktails nowadays. Yeah. Well, if, if you're making a cocktail with one of those super smoky scotches, that's got to, it's going to, that's going to be the cocktail. It's going to be smoky. You know, you got to sure. base the whole thing around that really. Well, <laughs> I like this brand for typical stirred cocktails. I mean, mm-hmm. we are on a bartending podcast so we could talk a bit about how it works its way into cocktails and the kinds of ingredients I like to use. First of all, one of the focal notes that I get on the nose are, are citrus notes. I get a lot of like uh, lemon peel, orange peel. Um, so, you know, the drink that I made, uh, the one that you, that you prepared before the show is actually focusing in on a lot of things that I find on the whiskey by itself. Um, some nutty notes. So I, I brought some almond orgia into that drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bit of cinnamon, and I, and I find baking spices throughout the malts of the Highlands. And, of course, there's a little bit of citrus with the orange peel. So, um, you know, when I when I think of the Uskaba Reserve, I like to use uh, anything that evoke, evokes nuts, uh, citrus, even some more, uh, I guess, medicinal notes. I, I make drinks with Amaros all the time, mm-hmm. um, lots of old-world spirits and liqueurs, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of the the I guess the new vermouths that are hitting the yeah. the market, oh, me too. Um, and and really with a good Scotch cocktail, uh, less is more. Uh, you know, in Absolutely. my opinion, as yeah. simple as you can get it. You know, some of the classic Scotch cocktails uh, over the past century or so. You know, you have your Rob Roy's, uh, you have your Bobby Burns. You know, those those rely on very simple, elegant ingredients and even if you're trying to get a little you know new fashioned with your with your drink uh, pr- preparation it's it's important to remember uh, to keep it you know simple 
and and elegant. Well, yeah. I mean, the Manhattan is probably my most favorite cocktail <laughs> sure. around, you know, so uh, I, I agree with that. Simplicity is often better. We've been talking a lot about cocktail competitions on, on the show recently, and um, it comes up over and over again. Simpler, the simpler, the better. <laughs> I agree. Um, you know, using fresh ingredients is so important. As yeah. you know, you know, in, with the Uskaba Reserve, as the weather gets warmer, I like to use some brighter herbaceous notes too. Mm. Um, you know, a little basil doesn't hurt in, with this mm. with this pour. A little rosemary mm. doesn't hurt. Um, you can make highballs with something as simple as a little simple syrup, uh, good sparkling water, and, and a sprig of rosemary, and it, it's a terrific mm-hmm. scotch cocktail. Nice. Um, you know, scotch whiskey shouldn't be frowned upon when you're thinking about cocktail um, making. Oh, I, think, I find it really interesting, uh, especially in it. Well, in highballs too. Yeah. I don't, I don't give that much thought, but in, a, in, um, you know, simple drinks that are served up, uh, you can do some amazing things with it. And, and like you say, you don't have to add a heck of a lot of crazy stuff to it, but you can make some delicious cocktails with it. Yeah. You know, I had a bartender that steeped cocoa nibs in, in a bottle of the reserve mm-hmm. for about a week until it brought some of those nutty chocolatey notes into the whiskey and prepared the whiskey in a cocktail like that. And, and I'm fine with that. You know, I don't think that there's anything sacred about uh, a, a good blended scotch whiskey at a, at a proper price point and putting that into a cocktail. Um, right, right. Now, I could make the argument that certain single malts shouldn't find their way into a cocktail. And, and I think it's uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a, a travesty when you see that happen. But people will do what they want to do, I suppose. And, yeah. and well, they always say whiskey, drink whiskey the way you like it. But mm-hmm. when it's when it's a finely made product that's been uh, you know taking years to make, it'd be, it's a shame to uh, to really put much anything in it. I agree. <laughs> Our next one, the Grand Whiskey of the Islands. So, so the the whiskey you're holding, the in, old rare, you call it, yeah. Sure, yeah, the, the old rare. rare. Um, this is our our flagship. Uh, each of these bottles is handmade by by an amazing ceramic producer based in uh, Iverness called oh, Wade cool. Ceramics. Awesome uh, bottles. <laughs> they, they're incredible, and uh, and you know not every bottle is the same. Um, mm. If you look at a few bottles from the same release lined up next to one another, there's little imperfections on each one. Um, oh, that's awesome. And uh, I think that's what you know. That's what's interesting about this brand. Oh yeah, you're not throwing this in the recycling bin. I don't think so. And you have and you have a mini. Those yeah. those are those are even more uh, <laughs> difficult to find. We we actually just produced our first, uh, our, our first couple pallets of minis, a um, mm. little under four months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, those haven't been produced in over ten years. So, oh, wow. uh, what you've got there is something really unique, really special. Um, I had a customer hang it up on their Christmas tree when it was finished, <laughs> which is just kind of awesome and very flattering. But <laughs> very um, cool. Yeah, so you know the old rare has has a long history, not only as a, as a great whiskey, but also sort of a uh, an icon. I mean, it was poured at uh, presidential inaugural dinners, which is uh, sort of neat and also timely, I guess, considering we're in election season. <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily the most popular presidents featured at their <laughs> inaugurals. We we had uh, Nixon, uh, which uh, love him or hate him, definitely loved Uskaba. Um <laughs> You know, I, I heard an anecdote uh, that Bill Parcells received a bottle of, of Uskaba Old Rare after winning his first Super Bowl with the New York Giants, yeah. which as a Giants fan, that was, uh, <laughs> that, that was cool to read. Um, I also know that it was served at the, uh, 
the inaugural dinner of George H.W. Bush, uh, mm-hmm. George George Bush one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it definitely has a history of appealing to the upper echelons of society, and uh, that really is due in part to the legwork of the previous owner of the brand. Uh, his name uh, was a mouthful. His name was Stanley Stankowitz, <laughs> uh, and he was a Scotch collector based in uh, Pittsburgh. Okay, and uh, you know, the guy had a a, a tremendous. Uh, dossier of, of important people that he did business with over the years. And uh, he'd always worked with luxury brands and luxury consumer goods. And scotch became something of a, of a fascination for him. And he ended up importing the whiskey after trying it and falling in love with it back in the mid-60s. So mm. he, he garnered the distribution rights and purchased it from the previous brand owner, uh, William Grigger and & Sons, and was became the first American to own a scotch whiskey brand. Ah. So it, it definitely has a little bit of uh, Americana yeah. to it as well, it, and, which is ironic that it's a scotch brand and it has such an American <laughs> history. Uh, but it, you know, for the better part of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, Uskaba Old Rare was uh, fondly referred to as the king of the blended scotch whiskeys. And hmm. It was certainly a coveted item. Yeah. In fact, I just bumped into uh, I, I, won't, I won't call him elderly, but he was, a, he was a, uh, an older gentleman at a bar here in New York City. Uh, it was roughly four days ago. And uh, he was about to order a black grouse. And I said, well, listen, let me order you the old rare, if you don't mind. And he mm. said, yeah, he looked at me and he said, Uskaba, aren't, aren't you a little young to know Uskaba? <laughs> I drank that in the early nineties. You know, I was given it as a gift and I said, well, you know, I'm flattered to hear that. And he, you know, his eyes lit up and he got all misty eyed and he was so excited to see it back in the market. Oh, and that, wow. that, that's really the impression I get, not only from people that are uh, experienced whiskey drinkers, but also younger people, uh, which are making up uh, a greater majority, I think of the whiskey drinking demographic. They see something like this, they hear about its history. Uh, it has a story to tell, but it also has the quality to back it up. And right. uh, that that's why it's a brand that has maintained its relevance, even after leaving the market for about seven years. Mm, I get I get a real earthy quality from the, off the nose. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a umami yeah. uh, to it, you know? Uh, it's got a meatiness. Mm. But it also has a significant amount of butterscotch and sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this whiskey is a little more, uh, sty- stylistically at least, it's a little more complicated than the Reserve. This featured, I, I'm, I take it you're drinking out of the mini, so that was yep. the 2015 release. Uh, we incorporated 41 single malt whiskeys into that uh, cuvee, wow. uh, which is a tremendous amount of casks to go through and, and sort through. Only 15% uh, grain whiskey, just under 7,000 bottles produced. Uh, of the larger bottles, you have... Um, each bottle is numbered and vintage dated, so you, mm. you know what release you're sipping. Mm. Um, and I, love of course, that. I love that. I wish more whiskey brands would do that. <laughs> well, you know, we, we sort of have to because um, unlike a lot of other brands, we don't source we, – we don't have a heart of the brand uh, like a lot of those household name blended scotches have. Right. Uh, we work with an independent bottler uh, who is artfully choosing casks based on a year-to-year basis mm-hmm. and – producing the whiskey uh, to meet the style of the house. So it, it's a, there is more or less a, a recipe in terms of the ages that they use in the whiskeys, uh, but the casks aren't always the exact same whiskeys from oh. the exact same distilleries. And I think that the reason Uskaba is so beloved is because it is a changeling, because it does have that authenticity from year to year that other brands don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to not to you know denigrate any other brands out there, but ours is a is a real classic. It's an icon, and it's something that a lot of love was put into uh, in order to produce it. Uh, and our, our blender uh, Stuart Lang, that works at Hunter Lang and Company, has been making the whiskey personally uh, for over thirty years now. Hmm. So so uh, 
you know, there's also an intimate relationship we have with the blender uh, that that only goes to show you how how uh, how much pride uh, that company puts into making the whiskey for us. Yeah, it's it's absolutely delicious. That, that's crazy to think it's a blend of seventy different seventy one different whiskeys. Forty one. Forty one. I've been to a couple of blending seminars. One was with bourbon, mm-hmm. and they had three three samples for us to try, and then asked us to make something you know that we thought tasted good. So that, you know, that was fun and we did pretty good with our first one tasted real good. We thought, you know, and even the uh, master distiller was there. He thought our blend tasted pretty good, you know. Then I went to another one uh, at a different event and it was, uh, this one was, was scotch whiskey. And uh, in this case, it was a little harder. They gave us a sample of an existing product and then seven unlabeled bottles and asked us to try to reproduce this existing product. <laughs> and that was really hard, man. It was really well, hard. We didn't gives, get anywhere close. <laughs> right. Yeah. It gives you a real appreciation for what these guys go through exactly. uh, in order to craft these whiskeys. And you bring up a good point uh, when you when you reference bourbon. You know, I think that the whiskey consumer has been trained to think that single malts are by their very nature uh, superior to blended scotch whiskey. And that's a really unfair assessment. Um, You know, the majority of whiskeys that we as Americans drink are blended whiskeys, whether you consider bourbon or you consider Canadian rye or you even consider rye whiskey. You're, you're, at the end of the day, you're blending multiple barrels of whiskey to create a a style. Uh, Scotch whiskey is no different. And single malts are also blends unless you're buying a single, single cask release. Mm -hmm. So there's almost a bit of uh, re-education that needs to occur, I think. And and your bartending uh, community can help in that regard uh, by promoting blended Scotch whiskey as, as, uh, you know, I think that as you see more uh, come back into the American market, brands like uh, Black Bottle, brands like Compass Bach, which has really paved the way, I think, for artisanal blended scotch, uh, there's there's going to be sort of an enlightenment period where blended scotch all of a sudden can be looked at as a as a really artful and uh, and carefully made product again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the problem is it's just been dominated by big name brands that put out millions and millions of cases a year, right. uh, and and you lose that authenticity. Uh, so it's important to try, you know, some of these smaller brands. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, it, it helps, it just really helps elevate your palate to try, you know, to try things like this. They're just so different. You know, if you drink one of the big brands that you mentioned earlier all your life, you know, you'll never, mm-hmm. you'll only know what that is and, and you'll, you'll never expand your palate at all. And, it's a sh- and you know it's what, a shame. there's. There's really nothing wrong with the, some of those bigger brands, and they're there for a reason. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, they're terrific whiskeys to bring to a party because you know everybody's going to know it and it, love yeah. it. You know, it's a great whiskey to have in your liquor cabinet to make uh, your your nightly Rob Roy before you go to sleep. But you know, there's uh, it's great to buy some of these smaller produced brands to to like you said, educate yourself and to look at the category not just as a one dimensional thing, but as something that has many different options. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the, the the blender uh, at that bourbon se- seminar, the master distiller or master blender rather, um, was he was really excited that you know because he's done this seminar many times, but it's usually not with bartenders. So he was really excited sure. to see you know what what notes we could pick out of uh, the three samples that we had. You know, so it, it was it was really fun. It was exciting. Well, you know, bartenders are so crucial to this industry uh, from a sales perspective, and, and as somebody who used to work in a restaurant, um, you know, bartending, and I, I was never personally a bartender. I, I, I guess I, I make drinks at home and, and being in this industry forces my hand to, to have to experiment with, with mixology as it were. But, uh, I was never, uh, you know, slinging drinks behind a bar and, and I'm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm very good at it because I'm a little clump, I'm a little clumsy when it comes to that. I, I did a, I did an event recently, um, 
where I was asked to make drinks for a crowd of about 50 people, and I made such a mess. And I remember the, the manager of the restaurant jokingly came up to me and grabbed my shoulder. He said, the drink is amazing, but I'd never hire you to run a party. <laughs> I said, it's a good thing you're not paying me. Uh, yeah, I, I make sure to hire some skilled hands when I when I have events from now on. Yeah, that's uh, yeah the uh, mixology portion of the job is only one one segment. <laughs> you know, there's not a, really the biggest one, probably. <laughs> well, it, it's really something to watch a bartender work in a busy environment. Um, you know, as a waiter and, and as someone who uh, used to manage restaurant floors, I know how busy it was just taking orders and remembering uh, people's names and remembering what they prefer. But as a bartender, to do all of that at the same time, you know, making five different cocktails with a multitude of ingredients is really impressive. But uh, back to my point, um, you know, the bartending community is so important in terms of educating consumers. Uh, I find that as these whiskey bars pop up and you have these selections crowding the back bar of over 150 whiskeys and and sometimes even more – these places are, are the locations people go to experiment before they go to their local liquor store and buy a new bottle. Right. Uh, so, you know, getting our, our brand onto back bars and restaurants is so crucial. Uh, educating the staff. It's one of yeah. my favorite parts of my job yeah, is, is going <laughs> going to a bar and gathering all the bartenders and the wait staff together and, you know, talking them up and, and, you know, coaching them up on the brand and making sure that their talking points are in line with what the brand's trying to represent. And then, you know, hearing the comments from customers, you know, I'll go to like seven grand in LA and, uh, buy customers around a whiskey, you know, I'll hear them with their order. I'll hear what they're ordering and I'll say, well, do you mind if I step in and just order you around for, uh, just this once and let me, let me know what you think. Uh-huh. And it's a part of the job that is really rewarding, I think, yeah. because you see, in a very personal way, how the brand impacts people. Um, and that at the end of the day is, is why we're in the spirits business. I think is, is, uh, that, that interaction and that personal connection you feel with, with a, a product that is millennia old, you know, it's been around since the dawn of time and still, you know, is, is really the best way I think to congregate and, and, uh, communicate with others. So it's, it's it's rewarding. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that's a good yeah. place to leave it right there. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, Ryan. Well, it was such a pleasure Thank to you. meet you. And, uh, you hope, too, Brian. I hope to run into you sometime. Well, I will, we'll make sure to uh, to coordinate at some point and get together. Yeah. Will, will, you, will you be at Tales of the Cocktail this year? Yeah, I go every year, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we should be there with our uh, with one of our distributors uh, making some noise. So. All right, great. Uh, looking forward to it. All right, Ryan. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. That take care, great. Brian. Bye now. Well, there you go, Uskaba blended Scotch whiskey. I hope you learned something about blended Scotch whiskeys. I know I did, and uh, I think it's important to educate our guests that uh, single malt is not always better. It, uh, there's a lot of great ones out there. There's a lot of great blended Scotch whiskeys as well. So uh, that was kind of the point of this whole thing. And if you ever get a chance to try Uskaba Scotch whiskey, it's great stuff. We're going to do our weekly toast in just a minute, but first I'll remind you that the website is bartenderjourney.net, and you can get in touch with me there on the contact page or just email me at brian at bartenderjourney.net. I'd love to hear from you for any reason at all. On Twitter, I am Barkeep Tips. There's a Facebook page. Search Bartender Journey on on Facebook. Assuming all goes as planned, next time on Bartender Journey, I'll be talking with Souther Teague, the great Souther Teague from Amori Amargo. And uh, he did this great talk while I was uh, in Tampa at the Repeal Day conference about uh, hospitality. We've all been there. We've all walked into anything, tire shop, bicycle shop, whatever, and get no attention from the staff. And you feel, you feel abandoned before you've ever felt cared for, right? 
So, and, and then maybe you, you mill around for a minute. If no one pays attention, you might leave. I know, you know, because we're in this business of service and hospitality, we're a little bit more sensitive to these things. So, you know, I've been to places where I haven't gotten any attention for less than probably two minutes. And I'm like, I'm out of here. This place sucks. Probably never coming back. Well, I'm going to sit with Souther at Amari Amargo uh, in a couple of days and talk with him about that and, and uh, get some more insights out of him because he's, he's, he's a great guy. That's a great bar, and uh, he has a great philosophy on hospitality and making the guests feel welcome. Uh, we want to make the music uh, choices that we select to put on the playlist. I want my guests to want to sing along, but not sing along, <laughs> but sometimes sing along. <laughs> so hopefully you're subscribed to the Bartender Journey podcast so you get that next episode as soon as it becomes available. And you can also uh, browse the back catalog. All right, let's do our toast. Wishing you a full belly, a heavy purse, and a light heart. Cheers, we'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey podcast. There'll be no more scenes such as this. Barrel after barrel of prize whiskeys destroyed by government agents. It's going to be a cold winter for the barrel busters.